Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. To the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog, the podcast that grabs you by the balls but asks for consent first and always establishes a safety word beforehand. Uh, this week's safety word is jelly. So, if at any point you feel uncomfortable with anything we're talking about, just shout out jelly and we'll stop. Um, joining me this evening, or I should say who I am. Well, you know who I am. I'm Cami Black. Uh, but joining me this evening to um, I don't fiddle, pick over. I don't know what the right word to use is, um, the, to, to, to go back over the events of the weekend anyway, and um, we've got Al Kerr. Hello. And Ian Hay. Hello, we will strenu- strenuously analyse everything. <laughs> we will, that. yes. The The tone of conversation will will go downhill from here. I was going to say we'll try and raise it, but I think that's unlikely. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Cammy Black. We're on Facebook, Scottish Rugby Blog, Instagram, Scottish Rugby Podcast, when I remember that we've actually got an Instagram account. Um, and um, we've also got the blog itself, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, where you can go and uh, read up the latest musings on on Scottish rugby. Uh, Ian's match report is up there from the weekend, if you want to go and have a look at that. Um, We've um, got a, a crap call-off clarification again to start off with. I did call for these last week um, after we had the clarification from our um, from our deep-sea diver call-off. Uh, this one's from Fraser Manson. Uh, he said, just to follow up on your request for clarification of crap call-offs from the last podcast, the guy who called off because he was going prony trekking with his grandma is actually my younger brother's best friend, and I can confirm that this call-off did happen as he was with my brother when he called off due to kayaking. He said, I play for a different team, though, so I have no sympathy for him, as every time I ever played against him, he's tried to start a fight with me. Uh, terrible. What would your mother say? Terrible stuff. Um, the, um, we've, there's not much news has happened in the past week. Um, we've got a couple of bits to, to discuss. Um, first of all, the news uh, out today that, that Scrum Magazine is, is no more from the end of the Six Nations. They've released their last issue which is is quite sad because we've there's not much in the way of, of individual specialist coverage focused just on Scottish rugby. I mean there's us when we get round to actually doing something and updating the, the blog. Um which we you know we do 
fairly regularly. Uh, we've got the offside line, and then there was Scrum Magazine. So it's it's sad to see it go, Ian. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, like you said, there's not a, a great number of outlets. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had some of them. Um, well, Gav used to be on there. And, you know, I was sitting beside George and Gav just uh, the other day uh, at the France game. Um, so, no, it's, yeah, we're very sorry to see them go. Yes. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, the other bit of news, uh, I'll come to you on this for your view, is mm-hmm. uh, Ember have signed a toddler from South Africa. <laughs> it's a very well-built toddler. Very, yes. <laughs> you should see yeah. some of the lads down my lad's nursery. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, right? I mean, was he 17? Yes. Um, yeah. You wonder if he's got a Scottish grandma hidden away somewhere in there. He hasn't. Um, this is the thing. I don't think, none of, normally with these reports you get, something in the way of he's got Scottish qualified because he's got some Dundonian grandmother. They're always Dundonian grandmothers. I don't know what all these women in, were doing in Dundee around that time, sort of having having children and sending them off into the colonies. You've been to Dundee, right, though, Cameron? Yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably self-explanatory if you've ever been. And I, I for, you know, uh, transparency's sake, I went to uni in Dundee, so I speak with a level of experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, you do wonder, that maybe they bring it, I mean, he's probably coming over for experience, right? You, you kind of think, but you never know. Maybe they're, they're hoping they'll keep him for five years, but at that point he might have just about done his sort of hires and just about be out of school. Um, so, yeah, an interesting one, though. It's um, inter- I mean, it's kind well, yeah, of... That was- it was a lot of um, I don't know, kind of unease on on social media last week around this, um, around the fact we we well, Edinburgh have signed you know essentially signed someone that that potentially isn't really going to get bothered the Edinburgh first team until what he's twenty two, twenty one at the earliest, given the position he's playing in. So I mean, is it is it right, Ian, that that for Scottish rugby to kind of pay money developing essentially developing a player? At seventeen, it's almost like going to what football does, where there's kind of you know signing fourteen-year-old prodigies. Is that is that the right way for rugby to go? Um, no, I would say not. And what I was sort of going to add on to Al's comment is, I wonder if this is a sort of knock-on effect of the five-year-old par the Northern Hemisphere teams going to look for younger and younger proteges, uh, particularly down in the Pacific Islands, um, to try and get one five-year-old, or is it just to you know, sign them up, train them up for a while, then sell them on. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Cocker's has got a job to do in that he wants the best for Edinburgh rugby, but, you know, how much game time is a 17-year-old legitimately going to get um, over the next couple of years? Uh, we'll need to see if, you know, he, he could be an absolute freak, but um, it's, yeah, especially, I think, with the Super 6, the whole concept of Super 6 is to bring players through, uh, and they've got, like, Christine, um, and James Johnson who aren't getting game time at that position, so yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, I mean, there was a kind of uh, Sandy was kind of talking about some of the coverage being a bit xenophobic, um, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that applies in this case. I don't I kind of get it when you know we've signed project players in the past, but they've always come over with an idea that they're filling a gap in a pro team with a long term view to possibly qualifying, which is I don't have a problem with that because mm. they're plugging a gap. This, the gap, this. You know, a seventeen-year-old coming across this plugging is potentially one that would could be filled by, you know, someone that w- clubs in Scotland will have invested in from minis upwards. Uh, so it, it just it feels slightly different this to the normal kind of project player signing. 
if it's just a really odd i mean you even think about why is it getting the publicity you know it was on the bbc website for example because you think i mean how many 17 year olds potentially go through that the youth systems through the pro clubs and you never hear you know bo peep about it so it's very interesting that there has been an element of i wouldn't call it fanfare but there has been a light cast on it and that's come out from edinburgh themselves you know through the social media streams and bits and pieces so they must be deliberately trying to draw attention to it rather than just being you know a youth player joining the ranks and coming into you know into the system so it's it's there's something I'm not saying there's anything sort of dubious about it or you know suspicious about it but it's just it's an odd signing and an odd approach and it'd be interesting to see as, as you say you know the start of you know a, a wider trend to come that's it is the canary is this the canary in the cage down the mine and you know we we it's it's a South African and it, you know it's well he's a white South African lad so it's it's not as exploitative perhaps than taking a poor lad from Fiji in the same way that the French teams do, but it's still, I don't know, it still kind of leaves you with a sense of unease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, that was, I was going to say that, you know, it's, you know, he's not doing it to support the family back home kind of thing. Um, and we have heard many reports of exploitative behaviour towards Pacific Island players in particular. Um, so let's, you know, let's cheer this up and talk about the game or something, you know? It's getting a bit serious now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to lighten the mood? I was trying to, I was trying to raise the tone of conversation Sorry, after was, my opening think, in. Ah well, you know, I think we don't want to go too far though. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it just makes the drop even further. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Before we get into it, let's hear. Um, Ian was at the game and he heard from Gregor Townsend and Stuart Hogg. You know, great memories are made by great opportunities, and, and today was a great opportunity for us to achieve a, a, something special as a twenty-three and a, as a country and. Um, I believe we've done that. Yeah, I think you know the coaches work really hard to to give us opportunities, and and you know as a backline we talked a lot about staying connected and not giving them you know easy outs to fly up out of line and, and, and belt somebody. So you know multi option, two lines of attack uh, really took that away from them, and you know the the strength of theirs we we hopefully turned that into a weakness at times, and you know I thought our decision making around the ball um, was spot on. You know not everything's going to be perfect. Uh, we don't strive for perfection because it doesn't exist. Um, but we feel we're in a good place, uh, and we managed to, you know, score a couple of tries through Shawnee Maitland out wide, which was uh, exactly what we're after. I think that's it's a performance we've been displayed in, in every game. We've been consistent uh, throughout the championship. We've defended well, uh, and we've been tough to play against. Uh, I think the the game here a month ago against England was was a different type of rugby, so we maybe couldn't. Um, both teams couldn't have put down what what they wanted to because of the conditions. But in terms of our three games, we, we've been tough to beat, and we've we've learned and improved as a group. Uh, and obviously, it was great to see how much energy and physicality the players played with today. But I felt we played better in the first half than the second half. I felt we had France in the back foot. Um, we turned them over, I think, nine times in the first half through how we defended, uh, and we had. Opportunities um, getting in behind them. Sometimes a, a red card can really help you, um, but uh, I felt France coped with the uh, the one man down in terms of how they worked in the set piece, uh, and also gave them a bit of a kickstart of having to, to play more rugby to to try and win. Uh, and they're a very dangerous team when they're offloading, putting little chip kicks in, counter attacking. Uh, so who knows? Uh, obviously, if you have one man advantage, it's better than having 
the same numbers in the field, but we I felt we played really well when we, when it was 15 against 15. And the weather was more of a factor than probably the red card in the, those last 20 minutes. Um, so, Ian, I'll start with you. Gregor Townsend seemed fairly fairly upbeat after that. I mean, it's it's hard. Overall, it's, it's hard because were you left with the sense that even if France had ended up with 50 men on the pitch, Scotland still would have won that, albeit not as, as, as well as they did? I think it would have been very tight. Um, but no, I think uh, we showed a bit more of the clinical attacking uh, prowess that we had shown in previous years. Uh, one thing I would say, and it, you know, it's not to detract from the Scotland performance, but um, once Intermac went off, I thought uh, Dupont kind of looked lost and, and France kind of lost the structure. But a lot of that was because of excellent Scottish defence, um, great pressure that was put on. Uh, so, you know, that's one area we've particularly we've, we've been critical of in the last couple of years. Uh, and we've certainly certainly seen an improvement this time round. So I think he's got every right to, to feel pretty chipper. And and what do you think? I mean, did this give us a better sense, Al? Because we've talked in the past podcasts about how hard it has been to analyse Scotland, the Six Nations so far. Mm. You know, the Ireland game was was kind of a, a, an almost or could have done better, but was a, a, a decent performance away from home. The England game was, aside from getting the tactics in the bench wrong for the conditions, you can't really read much into that game. Italy felt disappointing despite the fact we nilled them away from home. This game somehow felt a bit more like we're starting to get an idea of the type of rugby that that, that the Scotland are trying to play. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's spot on. It's like there's a body of evidence now in which you can start to say, right, this is how Scotland are going to go forward. Um, it's and it's quite Welsh <laughs> in its <laughs> in its makeup. You know, there is it is. It's uh, trying to stifle the opposition, and actually, it was really interesting. You know, France had come in all guns blazing, and I watched the game back. I watched it back a couple of times, and just the the compact nature of the defence. Um, there were a couple of points where Dupont, and this before they went down to fifteen, uh, down to fourteen. There were a couple of times where Dupont, you know, was getting the ball at the back of the rock. The line was up so quick; he was actually turning back on himself. He didn't know where to pass it to because all the avenues were being closed down really quickly. Um, Ian, um, I'll come to you. In terms of the defence, then um, the, I was talking about it, it is much improved. I mean, I think that there's a stat Russ Petty put out saying that Scotland haven't considered this have 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 haven't kept teams to under twenty points in three games since sort of nineteen dickety six or something like that. It's it, it, so it, we're starting to see, I, I suppose, what Steve Tandy has been able to do with it. And Adam Hastings was actually saying, I think, post match that they're actually starting to enjoy themselves in defending and that's not something they've always had. Um, yeah, yeah, he actually, uh, there's an interview I read with him today where he said the same thing. They are starting to enjoy it. I think Steve Handy's done a fantastic job um, and I think we'd all agree. Um, so, you know, was considering that, what was it, we were conceding over 25 points uh, a game last year in Six Nations, uh, and now we've got a ridiculous. What was about forty nine? I think forty nine points conceded um, in four games, and uh, that's four tries. Whereas, you know, apart from the the nillings at the World Cup um, against tier two nations, um, I mean, the one against Small was impressive. But you know, Russia, with all due respect to them, you know, they're not, they're not a great side, are they? Um, 
but no, we have seen a massive improvement. Um, we've seen one of the things that was pointed out uh, between the Ireland World Cup matches and Six, Six Nations matches was that the pack was a considerable amount heavier, and the pack has really stood up um, both in set piece, but having the line outs, they're not going very well, to be honest. But uh, the scrum and in terms of their defensive work rate, has been it's been incredible, to be honest, uh, a, a massive shift. And it's, and it's the level of aggression that they bring. Sorry, yeah. Cam. Um, no, well, that's exactly what I was going to say to you. Is it, it's the, it's the, 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 the thing we've been crying out for is, isn't necessarily the heft, is it? It's the dog. It's the the, the aggression, yeah. and that's that's come through. So the two things that stood out, so if you go back to that Ireland game in the World Cup, right, and I had the utter misery of actually sitting and watching it, you know, in the wet and rain in your grandma, um, was... The, the two things I'm missing, there was absolutely no shape to the defence. So they didn't know, didn't look like they knew where the, what they were supposed to be doing. There were times that I think it was Ryan Wilson, they were just sort of sauntering back without really a clue of what was being expected of them, where they should be. But you would think as you know, a 30-year-old professional, they would have that. But there was obviously confusion in the ranks as to where they need to be. And you know, that goes to your point, Ian, that you know, Tandy's alluded to that. But it's the whole mindset and the fact that the aggression and the dog that they bring, um, they're much more in the faces. And actually, if you go you know, on, Saturday, on Sunday's game there against France, I think that's, I don't know why they were shocked, but French, the French looked a wee bit taken aback in that first sort of 10, 15 minutes at just how in their face Scotland were. And I do think people like Haining, who are not necessarily, you know, world-class rugby stars, but they have a great at- mental attitude and they bring that extra level of aggression to the team. And it's great to see. And it's just lovely to see us being an absolute horrible team to play against. And that's the interesting thing. Because what surprised me when I was looking at the match stats before we came on, and I think it surprised me after the game when it flashed up, was was how many tackles Scotland made to France. Because it felt like Scotland dominated the game, but you know Scotland made 171 out of 196 tackles. France made 76 out of 89, mm-hmm. which is just you wouldn't have thought that Scotland would be the team that had made that you know had made the most tackles and you certainly wouldn't have thought that they were the te- you know that they'd made double the amount of tackles that France had made and then possession Scotland 39% and territory Scotland 40% again when you watching the game and I I have to confess I haven't had time to watch the game back but you you were saying you have Al. watching it back was was that apparent or was it is, that that surprise you no, it doesn't in the slightest, because how many times have Scotland been on the other side of that um, equation, right? I mean, how many times have we seen Scotland dominate possession, dominate territory, and come away with nothing? But the problem was the French played an awful lot between the 22 and the halfway line. In that first half, the, the first time they got into the 22 was when they scored their try. And even that needed a piece of magic, because effectively they were... They were running out of ideas and it was a brilliantly executed try and you know the kick was perfectly weighted that they needed to do something special so how often have we sat here and relied on you know a piece of russell magic for example to unlock that back door and actually even in this tournament if you go back to the Ireland game it's, it's just the equation flipped the other way around um so it doesn't surprise the fact that we just we were mo- scotland played the game in the right places and they were comfortable to let the French have the ball tight around the box because they weren't going anywhere, and I think they sussed them out. And I think as soon as the French realised that, and, and you know, you know, I think you made the point earlier that um, once that uh, Intermac went off, 
they really did start to flounder straight from that point. I mean, that was a huge, as big an issue as the, the sending off, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the, the shape of the defence, one thing that kind of clicked with me uh, this weekend watching it a bit cl- more closely is we've maybe been a bit harsh on Chris Harris and his missed tackle rate. When you look at what the position that Harris gets into in his role in the defensive line, because it comes up so quickly and curves around the attack, he's actually a lot of the time kind of either level with or just slightly behind the the, the attackers to try and block off the ball. So when he's when there is a break, he's having to turn and chase a lot of the time, which isn't easy. And that, I think that might account for the fact that, well, for example, he 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 made eight and missed four tackles at the weekend, Ian. So it's maybe down to where, rather than where he's positioning himself, where he's being positioned in the defence is leading to that, but that's maybe not a worry of other people are, are there to cover. Yeah, I think it's not his technique. It's just, you know... It, like you said, he's, he's there almost as a, a, a blocker rather than the, the man who's going to take someone down. Um, you know, he's on his heels. And also, I looked at the stats. I think those are the ESPN stats you're referring to. Um, yep. They're the same that I saw. Um, yeah, um, said Adam Hastings uh, made eight tackles, but also missed eight tackles. But when I've watched it back, um, I've watched it sort of, well, I've watched it back fully once a day and then sort of in the background. Um, there's a couple of times when he put on pretty good hits, like fairly upright hits on bigger guys. And what that did was it allowed people to come back in. And like you were saying with Harris, uh, you know, it's it's allowed because of the curve. He's off balance as he hits, but what it does is it allows that people who have curved up already, they can then go and cover back. Um, so, like we always say, stats don't tell the full story. Um, and, and we've seen examples of it overall and individually there. Uh, in terms of territory possession in the game, because you know it didn't seem like France had sixty percent of possession in territory to our forty percent throughout the whole thing, especially when we went so comfortably, um, and also individually, you know, because um, our defence seemed a lot more uh, more solid than theirs. To be fair, yeah, I mean, on on the Hastings thing, I think it'd be interesting to know what what's classed as a completed tackle. Because like you said, you wonder whether or not a lot of those missed tackles, they're not him you know, flailing it, it at air for guys that have, have, have passed him. It's whether or not you know, he's, he's making the initial hit and purposefully falling off to allow the bigger guy. But just that, that split second or that second that he slows somebody down or gets in their way allows somebody else to come in. So maybe the, the missed tackles don't tell the full story, Al. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably right. I mean, the number of times, and I think when you watch the game back, and I alluded to it earlier on, the number of times that Scots had, had closed off passing routes for the French, you know, by by deliberately stepping out. Uh, and you wonder if part of that, so you, those missed tackles from both Harris and from Hastings, is it that they're, they're number one role is exactly that. They're not really there to tackle. They're there to close the space forcing the French to have to play. And yes, if somebody goes past, well, they've got an arm on them. Yes, technically it's a missed tackle. But at that point, all they're doing is running into traffic anyway, right? So they were continually forced. If you watch um, sort of middle of the first half, I think it was when I was watching back, there's five minutes or so that the French have the ball and they're just continually running into traffic. They've got nowhere to go. And it's like Scotland are doing a very good job of channeling them down the centre. They're not giving them the opportunity to get out wide. Um, it was, a, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure we might come on to it later on, you know, in terms of Townsend's position. I've been a really big critic of Townsend, um, as we know. Um, but 
I think he deserves a huge amount of credit. He got his tactics absolutely spot on on, on uh, but actually the last two games I mean spot on for what we needed to do. Um, and I think he deserves the credit. Yes, and I think yep. what what's changed for me certainly in the last two games is the is the attack, and I don't I don't know if it's been a deliberate shift that they like you said it, they were almost the Allen game was more about getting back to basics and do it getting the defense right, getting the basics right, setting the defense and trying to turn it into an attack, which is you know we were critical of the fact they were just trucking up through the forwards and trying to batter over the try line. But so the, where the tries have come from is where we said they needed to come from, which is essentially you use the forwards to stretch the defence and then you throw a couple of quick passes and you're over, which is essentially where where all the, aside from McAnally's try, that's where the, the tries have come from, right? Yeah, negative. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so essentially, do you think he's listened to the podcast and <laughs> taken that on or...? Or do you think, Al, it has been a case of we go back to basics and then we try and spin it out wide as the games go on? Or do you think it's just... I think think they made play about, you know, the meetings that were held post the World Cup, right? And the fact that, you know, and I think Townsend itself, you know, they identified the changes they need to make and do that bled into some of the conversations around the whole Russell um, schmozzle as well. Um, You know, that we came out there as well. So I, I think... I think they've done the right thing. I mean, you have to you you have to have a solid defence. If you're going to win games of international rugby, you have to have a defensive structure that is right. And I, I think there is an element of they have gone into this tournament saying, right, if nothing else, we are going to come out of the back of it with an understanding of how we play defensively. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think the other the other thing to just men- probably mention uh, now is in terms of the while well, we're still on defence and before we move on to some other things. Um, you were mentioning the aggression earlier on, Al and um, Ian. I think we uh, we should give a shout out to man of the match, Jamie Ritchie, because uh, he's becoming more and more of a nuisance. And I, I think almost to the point, I think where he's going to be our Atoji or our, our you know our Alan Wynne Jones. Other other teams are going to hate to play against them, and in fact, other teams' fans probably will will hate them with good reason. But we'll absolutely love him. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll be flat out honest. I I love Jamie Ritchie. Um, you know, not not enough that if I was on a pitch with him I'd, or anywhere for that matter, I would pull all these todger. But we'll we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> no, but the man is just you know he's a test match animal. Um, I think even a couple of years ago, just before the when he first got picked for the USA Summer Tour, um, we were talking about potential bowlers, and I was, I've only seen Jamie Ritchie a few times, but I like the cut of his jib. And yeah, him and Watson are just sensational. You know, people are talking about them in the same uh, vein as Finlay Calder and John Jeffrey. Uh, and you know, maybe it's a wee bit too early to make those comparisons, but what a unit they are! And Jamie Ritchie, in particular, like you say, he's just an absolute dog. Um, a lot of the time, you know, we, you expect flankers to give away penalties. He does. He's and his discipline's fairly good. Um, but you know what he brings to the team in terms of aggression and defence, and he's a, he's a good ball carrier as well. He's a he's a he had a couple of really nice passes during the match as well. I mean, this guy's a a real top class player, and he's only twenty three, so he's going to be sensational for years, I think. Yeah, I didn't even think he was man of the match on Sunday, though. In fairness, I thought Watson I, was was I gave, man of the match. I gave it to Watson myself, um, but you know that was uh, that was in uh, com. But 
It wasn't in compensation, but uh, Cammy's got annoyed at me for, uh, for picking <laughs> yeah. Richie in Ireland. So, no, but I, I actually thought Watson for the two the two turnovers, either side of half-time, one led to the try, one yeah. stopped the French try. You know, when you've made that big an impact, that's, you know, we're talking of like... 21, a, tackle, know, 20, 21 tackles. He's down, and missing I think on. one missed as well, yeah. Mm. You know, that's, you know, that's your classic mish. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I think he deserved it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I mean, think the thing with with Richie and, and even um, I suppose with with Ferguson a little bit as well now. But when you've got players that are actually good at what they do and can irritate teams with the quality of the way they play, it has more of an impact, I think, when you get the Zan bags because they, it's not like you know, it's not like a Ryan Wilson situation where that's you know, that's kind of what he's got and that's what he's what he's about. But he makes doesn't make the same kind of impact around the pitch but it's happy to get involved somehow being niggly actually during the game and then sort of fronting up when it comes to the kind of afters as well has much more of an impact at all, I think yeah I mean you can't just be there to you know for the for the for the battle right you have to have something else that you bring to it and you know the two that you've you know so Fagerson is obviously and he's really upped his game um so you know I Richie I, but the bit I liked about Richie, I was watching, just literally before we came onto this, I was watching some of it back, and I was just watching the sending off, and as uh, how ass is it, the 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 prop it was sent off, um, pronunciation is probably terrible. Uh, as he's going off, Richie's having a good wee chuckle to himself as he's been sort of traipsing <laughs> off the park, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, you know, you already see it, you know, online. Opposition fans hate Richie. They just he's gonna be there for the next sort of ten years plus just winding up opposition players. It's fantastic. I loved the quote afterwards as well where he said he <laughs> caught me on the metal cheek. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Um in terms of elsewhere then, um Stuart Hogg is captain. I mean it's still for me jury's still out. I think I I take I think he got a, quite rightly got a lot of praise for the way that Scotland played and I thought it, it was a nice touch to have Kyle Stain and um, Fraser Brown hold up whatever it is the I don't know the old alliance trophy or the you know freedom fries trophy whatever it is that we we, we get when we play France um, that was quite a nice touch I, I still think although it's hard because he did you know he, he did sort of have that magnificent break that led to the try but I still think he takes it into contact a lot more than when there are when there are people he could set loose. And I don't know if the bur- kind of the burden of captaincy is it, how heavy that's weighing on him. What, what... I I think he's kind of always been that way, to be honest. Or you know, particularly I thought the World Cup, you know, he occasionally does run, run himself out of blind alleys. But um, as with say Finn Russell, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, you know, there's a couple of times that, you know, he did these incredible clearing kicks, and it, the, his kick chase as well was excellent. Um, the, his GPS st- numbers must be off the roof in terms of meters covered. Uh, you know, he's yeah, he does occasionally, like I said, I think he raises it blunt, blind alleys and makes the wrong choice when he tries to go alone. But you've got to temper that with all the good things that he did. Um, I, I yeah, and I thought that was less prevalent on Sunday. It's if you look at the second try. It's it's Hog clearing up a mess at a line out, mm. and then doing a clearing kick. Ball comes back. Hastings then kicks long. Ball comes back, but he does exactly the right thing. He comes in. He he targets 
uh, I think it's a back row forward, um, takes the ball right up to him, gets cleaned out, but he gets the ball away. So he holds his man and creates the space for Harris to make his break. And um, I actually thought, I, I really, really was quite impressed that I think he has mixed up a lot more as he's gone on this tournament. I think he's grown in. And the bit that the question I had was, I, if you... You know, the, the, the conversation I was before, how difficult is, is it to captain from fullback? But I wonder, is he speaking to referees beforehand to say, right, my hooker will be my, effectively, the captain for the performance? Because if you look at both McAnally and Brown, we're having conversations with the referee throughout the entire game. Mm. And they think the same happened in the Italy. So he seems to have worked out how to play that. And you think he's had the conversation with the referees beforehand because the referees weren't saying, no, no, I'm only speaking to the captain because yeah. the referees yeah. were comfortable. So he just as he played it quite cleverly there as well. I, yeah, I think that's that's been clear that, that, that those conversations have, been happening. There was a point in the Italy game where I don't think it, the, the forwards were clear as to who, who was supposed to be speaking because he almost told them off because he had about three forwards in his ear at one point. Mm-hmm. But they, they they seemed to have tightened that up this week, and there were a couple of times. Well, I think when he could, when he was in a position to, he commu- he is communicating very well with the referees, which has been which is good. And I think the Brown and McAnally are very effective communicators as well. Maybe it's take like you know, maybe it's taking the pressure off McAnally not being captain. That kind of you know, he's always been a good communicator, but then having all the other responsibilities on top of it maybe kind of stopped him from doing that. Hey. Yeah, sorry, sorry. We no, sorry, response, sorry. I was waiting for a response, but I I, I forgot to say you <laughs> should respond. Um, yeah, because that was one of the things that most people were complaining about about McAnally's captaincy at the World Cup uh, was that he wasn't talking to the ref. Mm. And, you know, obviously Hogg, if he's going to have to run 70 metres to go and talk to the referee about a scrum that's happened in the opposition 22 and then bolt all the way back, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a waste of his time. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously a sensible option if he's, you know, saying he's, if he's nominating captains in certain sort of set piece positions or what have you. Um but also, you know, he just I think now that he's got that big home win under his belt, he seemed a lot more relaxed in the press conference and you know, I'm hopeful it will relax him as a captain. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of plus points. I've questioned his temperament. Um but you know, if he's yeah, happy, relaxed Stuart Hogg, you've got one hell of a player and I'm sure a wicked damn fake captain. Yeah. Um the other p- player I wanted to mention was Blair Kinghorn, because he's I think in, in past seasons he's kind of been well he's been behind Maitland and Seymour in terms of the wing berth and then Darcy Graham burst through and 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 kind of almost sort of leaped frogged in front of him but I think he, it's done him the world of good having consecutive games under his belt now because that was a very confident performance I thought and and I think we're starting to see in a Scotland show what Edinburgh fans have always raved about Al. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he had a very, very good game, both defensively and in offence. You know, he um, he was unlucky on a couple of occasions. There's one kick through against France where, you know, the, the, the French, the covering French uh, defence, which managed to get, a, I think, their hand or their, their chest onto the ball. Otherwise, I think he'd uh, caught them cold in terms of his pace. So, yeah, he's been very good. Uh, the only thing I would say is that if Graham was fit, I would, I'm presuming, was where he was before he got injured, I would probably still have him in in terms of, uh, you know, starting. Uh, Fifteen, but he's a hell of an option to come in off the bench. Yeah, and I suppose that's where that's where it leaves him, doesn't it? Because he can cover fullback and and wing, so it's a he's in a good position, Ian. Uh, yeah, he'd be a, a 
pretty good 23 option. Uh, people always tell you as well that he played at 10, so um, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, he... Uh, he was, I thought against Ireland he was a bit shaky under the high ball, um, but the last two games, defensively especially, uh, and against England, uh, I think Squidge put out a good bit of defence from him. Um, yeah, he's, he certainly improved that aspect of his game, and uh, like Al was saying, you know, there's a couple of times um, his kick chase was excellent. Um, although Al said there was a mismatch, it wasn't it? It was actually against Pennell. It's just that Pennell mm. was absolutely rubbish at defending. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's what done that. But you know, Kinghorn had the um, had had the knowledge to know that that's what they were playing for. Uh, Hastings, I think we should talk about Hastings as well. I, th- I thought mm. he was fantastic. Um, very sensible display, uh, magnificent run for the the opening try. Um, which is you know we, we know we can do that from Glasgow. But I thought he's kicking from hand in particular. Um, you know, he's a. Um, either for territory or the up and unders, they were a lot more contestable. Sean Maitland won a couple of great ones, so yeah, I think he had a, a great game as well. You agree? Yeah, I think you agree with Al, yeah? Yeah, no, no, totally. I was just going to say, I mean, he's really grown into the tournament, right? I mean, again, he's one of those players I've never been the, the biggest fan, but I'm being made to eat, you know, a fairly healthy but quite tasty slice of humble pie, I would suggest. (laughs) Uh, He has really come on. And actually, I think, to a degree, he adds a sense of control that maybe Russell doesn't, just because of Russell's nature is a lot more flamboyant. Um, I mean, again, you know, if Russell is to become available again, I would struggle to see how we look past picking them. But at the same time, that would be incredibly harsh on Hastings based on how he has performed um, over the course of this tournament. And, and in that game in France, he, was, he, he controlled it really well. He did exactly what you would want in that situation. I thought it was very measured. His break as well. He had, it, I never really appreciated how smooth you know, an, a, a runner he is. Uh, but that break, his swivel of the hips to get away from the French defence, really impressive. He had a, a really good game. He can be really pleased. I mean, and the fact that he didn't sort of vomit in his own mouth seeing his mum and dad kiss him, so <laughs> the jump, uh, you know, deserves praise for that alone. It's interesting, I think, the point you make about, you know, where does Finn Russell fit into this now when he comes back into it? Um, because there is no guarantee that he, he is coming back. There's, there's this thawing of relationships and... Yeah, you know that he he was involved in conversation. We know he was involved in conversations with coaches, but I don't think there's been any guarantees that he's he's coming back post Six Nation. But were he to, I kind of see or take your point out because if Hastings is able to control the games as well as he does, and has got this run of games under his belt, then and and Russell isn't playing that with that kind of structure in France. Then Russell becomes the option from the bench, which I mean, and that's not a bad option because he can cover it. We we know he can cover it twelve. He's played there for Scotland. He's actually played outside of Hastings against Fiji with the well, is it the cats at the rave option, isn't it? So it's not. I mean, it, it doesn't leave Scotland in a bad place because essentially, what you know, Finn Russell fills the Dunkey Weir two minute off the bench rule, except you you have the option to bring him on after fifty sixty minutes with Windafet. You know, the game's breaking up a little bit. Would you would you think that's a, that's that that's the way it's potentially going in, or do you think really it's kind of Russell's? He's keeping the shirt warm. I suppose a lot might depend even on the next game, um, but we know how good Finn Russell is. Um, but you know, like you say, you know, if this uh, if 
if we're winning against Wales, why break up a winning team? Um, if it's a more structured game, it's winning, uh, winning matches when we've always been so annoyed at the fact that we we can't close out games or find a way to win through mercurial magic. Um, then you know, why change a winning formula? All right, I mean, it's not pretty, but at the moment, I'd rather take a win than than playing like you know Barcelona when Pep Guardiola was in charge. Um, we, you know, we we don't have that many great players. Uh, if the system suits, suits the system rather than Finn Russell. And we all know how much I love Finn Russell, but like I said, a lot of it depends on the next result and obviously whether or not these bridges can be mended. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the hope will be, though, that the... Um, and maybe this is, you know, for all the pain that they've gone through with the whole Russell situation, he must be looking at this somewhere in Paris and watching Hastings and thinking, Cricky, if I do come back, I'm not going straight back in here, right? Necessarily it might encourage him to not just up his game, because I think he'll have to up his game, but maybe to um, not to, to change his game just slightly in that international side, knowing now that, that he will need to be more than just a bag, you know, just, that's really unfair, but more than just a, a bag of tricks. He will have to apply that element of control that I think Hastings has shown. I mean, basically, if you could ram the two of them together, you would have... You know, Dan Carter on speed. It's it, we. I think there can only be upside. Hastings coming in is and performing this well can only be good because at worst it pushes it pushes Russell to 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 go on yet again to another level in terms of that control element. And yeah. if he can bring that to the international side, crikey, we're in a really fantastic place going forward. Yeah, because I mean, and and they both have. I think the, the the bonus to them both is that they have that versatility that you can justify having them both in a match day squad. Because you know Hastings came on at fullback, I think, against England mm-hmm. last year, and you know Russell can cover ten and twelve, so it's not it's not a bad position to be in, given that we are you know we as much as I'm sure there is a lot of love out there for Donkey Weir, but realistically we. We're not in a great place if we're finding ourselves with Donkey Weir on the bench in a Six Nations, right? Al, or am I being harsh? Because I did say halfway through the game, watch him get on at seventy-eight minutes and lo and behold, I was waiting for the last-minute drop goal, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> alas, it never came. Like I mean, like yeah, I get where you're coming from, but Weir is solid. If uh, you know, he's uh, he's reliable and he's solid, but he's not much more than that. He's um, yeah. He's a fallback position. He's the Rudy Jackson of the same era. <laughs> um, we should, I mean, we should want to touch briefly on the refereeing because a few people have raised it. There's a couple of things. One is, um, I'll, I'll ask, start with you, Ian. Do you think referees have just given up refereeing the scrum now with Scotland after 60 minutes? Because the last two games, it feels like Scotland have been dominant and then referees have just gone, do you know what? I'm just going to let the scrum collapse in front of me and I'm not going to guess what's happening and let the game go on. It almost feels like that a little bit. Yeah, it's, I think that's twice in a row now we've had Kiwi referees. Um, no, the, the amount of time taken between scrums was just absolutely extracting the urine. Um, you know, he kept on warning players but then not really punishing them. He gave, I think he gave two free kicks against France. But, you know, they'd go ambling off, have a wee chat uh, and then and walk back in, and then you know there'd be something wrong with a bind somewhere. They have to get reset, and it was just it just made it an absolute dirge. 
And then I think, you know, maybe at some point the referee just completely loses interest and he's like, all right, just carry on. <laughs> but it, no, it's it, it ruined it. Well, it didn't ruin it as respectable, but it's, it, you know, the, the amount of ball and play time was pretty minimal. Do you think it's that, that the, the referee just doesn't know what is going on? Or do you think it's a reluctance to sort of flash the cards and start, you know, saying, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to get the lad off the bench on to do it? Yeah, I mean, I've seen them before where they've sent up both sets of props and they can't, they, you know, they can't set a scrum properly and they're just right, right, you're off. Um, it's a really strange one. I mean, the scrums were an absolute... I, I, that was the, I actually thought he had a pretty decent game, Williams, broadly. There were a couple of bits and pieces, but around that whole scrummage, I mean, some of the scrums were taking like two, three minutes to get through, you know, the set. And it's... Um, I, he should have clamped down on it earlier, but there were lots of bits... Um, like offsides and bits and pieces as well. You know, the offsides and the kicks, uh, the restarts. Oh, crikey. I mean, France were five metres ahead of the ball every blinking time they, the, the ball was uh, sort of restarted. So there are bits and pieces that are more technical fouls that I think um, if referees, and it's not just Williams, but referees just generally cramped, clamped down on them early, they would not continue throughout the games. And for whatever reason, they don't seem prepared to do it. I'm not sure why. Yeah, the other thing that um, was mainly kind of I didn't really realize that that there were people from France who used Twitter. I didn't realize that it it had made it that they they had the internet over there. But apparently they do, and they've been most upset by um, some slow mo footage of Nick Haining uh, stroking a man on the eyebrow. Um, that 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 has allegedly uh, Nick Haining sort of putting his his knuckles near somebody's eye has you know led a man to punch a man square in the face. A very different man to the one that stroked his eye gently, but. Do you think, I mean, I suppose my point that I made to a, a, an irate Frenchman was, you know, we've all been there. We've all come, we, we've all wished TMOs would have picked up things for our team. And some some days, you know, you, you, you get a Marius Juncker calling it correctly. And other days you've got Ben Skeen. You know, you, you, <laughs> some days you get the cut of the green and other days you don't. And and it's hard, you know. It's 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 very easy to go back and and because if you if you review a rugby match in that much detail in slow mo, you're going to find something that a TMO should have been pulled pulled up. Al, yeah, I mean, I I spent at least half an hour with one of my kids' teddy bears trying to see how I could gouge its eyes with the uh, my, with my knuckle, um, <laughs> and and failed miserably. The the teddy is uh, still got two eyes. Um, I, we could. You're right. Everybody could go through and point to a whole world of, you know, it's a high tackle, it's you know, hand in the face, it's this, it's that, it's everything. The players weren't making a big fuss about it. And this whole thing about the gouging, I didn't see, you know, it was supposed to be hanging on Hawass again. And I didn't see him complaining. He didn't reach for his eye. I think I've played rugby, as I'm sure both of you guys have. I've only ever encountered a possible gouging once. And the person that it happened to, I can guarantee they were making sure that everybody knew that was why they were kicking off. And every time I've ever seen it, they are very, you know, you see people being very clear. I, it just doesn't stack up. I'm sorry. It's just sour grapes. Yes, I would agree. With that. And there's, you know, there's, for every eye gouge from a potential eye gouge from a Scotsman, there's equal footage of Frenchmen with their eyes all over some all over a Scottish player's face. So, um, 
I mean, if anyone's going to know about gouging, it's going to be a Frenchman, right? Well, exactly. I came up with a little song. I came up with a little song impromptu on Twitter today about uh, TMOs, which I need to work on for next Christmas. Um, <laughs> which was, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He's inconsistent about whether or not you're you've been bad or good. He's checking another angle for f- sake. <laughs> you have to bleep yourself. I haven't bleep myself. Say, yeah, I've like... had to check the time on that as well. So uh, yeah, I have to bleep myself. <laughs> Uh, I felt I, I didn't really feel like I could uh, just just um, just skirt over it. I needed the full impact of it. Um, is there any anything else from the game? I mean, you know, um, the the yellow card at the start uh, when Gilchrist got tipped. Um, for me, that's the wrong decision. Uh, it shouldn't have been uh, close that got yellow carded. Well, maybe he should be yellow carded, but uh, Valencia should have been red carded because if you see it, once the tackle's made, he then joins in. He's got control. Uh, Close has lifted Gilchrist's legs up, but he's it's over his shoulder, so he can't really see. Willemsa has a hold of uh, Gilchrist's hips, and he at the end you can see him actually drives Gilchrist towards the floor head first. Um, so I think he should be sent off, and I think it's unbelievable that Paul Williams was just going to give a penalty, and it took Wayne Barnes intervention to to call it at least as a yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I think that what was weird was the chat at half-time, and there's an element of players... I think some players need world rugby to save them from themselves, because it was John Barker who was trying to argue that that kind of... was almost kind of going with the let-the-boys-play boy, argument of, oh, there's nothing he could do about it. But like you said, and he joined in the tackle. He knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think anybody goes out to intentionally kind of, you know, debilitate somebody in that way, but they go out to hurt. You go out to hurt guys, don't you? You know, I think there are players that would go out to do that. And I think John Bark. I think it's unhelpful when you've got current pros and even sort of recently retired pros saying, "Well, that's just poor technique." And I said, "Well, well, there's no excuse for poor technique anymore anymore because everyone knows what's expected." Yeah, I mean, I, it was a <clears throat> it was a textbook red card. And what I wanted to know is about his. Grant Gilchrist done against continental Europe is he like the poster boy for Brexit out there or something because that's two weeks running he's been um, tipped on the back of his head by a, an angry either Italian and an, uh, an angry Frenchman so I'm not entirely sure what he's done uh, must, he has to change his skull cap I think um, red is a, obviously a, a target um, no I was I was amazed that it wasn't um, that what red wasn't discussed and I was absolutely astounded to, to Ian's point that um, Williams was even just talking about it being a penalty. I mean, I thought it was absolutely textbook dangerous. Um, yeah, but as it is, uh, you know, Gilchrist was fine. Um, so yeah, I think which is which is good. I, I, I they, they take a long time over these decisions as well. <laughs> it's a bit like that. You worry that there is a reluctance to start handing out the cards. And then maybe it needs to be a bit more kind of just just make the decision and get on with it because they took a they took an age to work out whether or not Jamie Ritchie had been punched full in the face. Yeah. I mean, I think if it hadn't been in the fourth minute, if it had been the forty fourth minute, you might have had a different outcome on that on that tip uh, tackle. Um, but it, it, on that, it's really interesting when you walk back to the fight and you go watch it back again. 
it's the TMO that's saying, go back, we'll try and find what instigated the whole piece. Because <clears throat> originally, the, 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 the reason they went, when you hear back, is that they were going to actually see, did Richie do anything? Because he came yeah. flying in 20 metres away. So it looked like, was it going to you know reverse the penalty? And it's only when they go back to try and find what started the whole fracas that you see the punch being thrown. Uh, which probably saved Richie because most times if that hasn't been spotted Richie's probably on a yellow card and that's reversed because he is um, the one pouring fuel on the fire because otherwise it is just handbags yeah yeah any more on the game or we sorry you go ahead just sorry with regards to the the Richie thing people also haven't seemed to have mentioned that Sam Johnson ran from about the same distance um, (laughs) to go and help different size (laughs) (laughs) under the radar (laughs) yeah you can well I think it's just more you know, backs backs engaging in handbags are to be kind of you know. Yeah, but Sam Johnson, though, he's he's pretty hard. He does, yeah, he does look. A, a, yeah, I don't think I'd want to mess with Sam Johnson. Looks fairly sturdy. Um, any more from the game? We don't think so. Covered it. No, happy, happy days. Good. Dodge your line out, but that's it. Um, Tuesday clock very quickly. Um. I think we've kind of covered it already that we, 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 we're all coming round. I think reserving judgment until after the Wales game, perhaps, which will give us a better taste of how this is going to go away from home. Uh, because I think that's still, for me, that's still the question that's unanswered. Is You know, looking at it in the context of what's happened since Ireland, the Ireland game looks like an okay result. Italy is, you know, it's Italy, so I'm not sure how much we can read into that. That that the win against France is you know that's three three on the trot at Murrayfield against France that's you know that's very good. Four actually. Is it four? Yeah, three Six Nations and the um, and the friendly last summer. Yeah, yeah. The one you were at. Oh yeah, of course I was there. Yeah, so that's four three in the Six Nations, so four on the trot at Murrayfield. So it's, there's something building here. I think the nature of with the win or the loss against Wales will be telling us to whether whether or not this is. That there is actually a, a consistency to the performances, and that's key for Scotland. I think going forward, is as Brian Moore said, that was the first time Scotland have almost put together an eighty-minute performance in God knows how long. I'm going to say it's about quarter to midnight now. I've moved them back quite away. Al, I was going to say about twenty to midnight, but I think the real. I think you'll now get through it at least till the end of the year. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see, regardless of what happens this weekend, it'll be very interesting to see what happens when they come up against the really big boys away from home over the summer and then have to bounce back at autumn. Um, I think that'll be a really tough summer shift. So I think if the, if this continues, um, he may well keep one mind in the clock back, uh, but he could find himself accelerating pretty quickly if we have a stinker over summer in autumn. So. Yeah, I mean, we we find ourselves in quite a fortunate position in Scotland, in that in that we're getting to complete the championship. So there is an opportunity to see something building. We're not having to wait till October to reserve judgment, um, like some of the other teams might have to. Um, where where are you putting them on the Tuesday clock? Uh, well, I was previously at uh, fifty six minutes um, past mid, uh, past eleven, even four minutes to midnight. Um, so I'm I'm going to move them back four minutes after. I'm going to put them at fifty two. I'm, I'm not going as far back as you lads, but I mean the, the actual one just now is like 110 seconds of midnight. So you know, I think 56 is, is, is he's doing fairly well. He's all right. He's not. He, nuclear war isn't imminent. Oh no, no, no uh, <laughs> he doesn't have to retreat to his bunker. No, virgin on a climate catastrophe. Oh. Um, in Scotland, you're not well, apart from freezing to death, maybe. Yeah, 
Um, let's move on then. We're going to move on, and we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do this. Well, we learned high and we learned low. We seen doggy bop on in speedos, but I just wanna know, did you see the legend that's Doogie Donnelly? Yes, it's where's Doogie Donnelly? Uh, the section of the podcast where you we ask you to get in touch with anyone uh, from the world of Scottish rugby or linked to it that you have seen out and about. Um, somebody got in touch by email. That email has disappeared. As I was reading it, where is it? Uh, Chris Dinning, there he is. You've popped out. You've, I, I flicked you and you moved into my deleted items, but we found you. Um, he said, having been out with, in a few bars in Glasgow for my mate's 30th, I ended up waiting in a queue for Sanctuary Nightclub on Dumbarton Road. Uh, while waiting in the queue, I noticed a group of lads in the guest list queue, obviously out having a crap shirt night. It was, he used a different word there. Uh, although there was a large group of them, I could only see one face clearly, which I thought I recognised. After a few minutes, I realised it was Ollie Kebble, which made me wonder who he was in. Once inside, it became clear he was out with more of the Warriors, including Adam Ash, Nico Matawalu, and Kyle Stain. He said uh, he said he walked up. Chris said he walked up to Kyle Stain and shouted "Staino" in his face, that he seemed to enjoy. <laughs> Uh, and Adam Ash laughed at him. He said, uh, he went, I then went on to tell him how terrible the Leinster game was, which he seemed to agree with. I would imagine not, he nodded politely at you, uh, Chris. Um, he said, despite putting up with my drunken ramblings about Glasgow, he bought me and the missus a round of vodka Red Bulls, which we all downed and then parted ways. By the end of the night, it all got a bit much for Adam Ash, though, who seemed to be a bit worse for wear when I was leaving. That wouldn't surprise me. He looks like he enjoys a good night out, does, does young Adam Ash. Then gets behind the decks and does a bit of DJing. He, he does, does DJ. He does. I've seen. Yeah, he does. He's a yeah. Um, Ian, did you see you had a couple of ha- um, where's Doogie Donnelly's? Uh, yes. Well, uh, you know, dear friend of the podcast, Mr. Ian Wallace, he bumped into Paul O'Connell uh, outside Murrayfield as Paul O'Connell went to, to go and do his media duties. Um, and then also in the up and under after the game, I had the distinct pleasure of bumping into uh, regular listener Doogie Low and his son William. Um, now. I forgot the name of the pub they mentioned they met this guy in, and I googled this with great trepidation, because um, you know t- typing "dirty dicks Edinburgh" is uh, <laughs> you kind of worry. I'm definitely not hitting the videos tab. That's happening. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Doogie and William, as they were leaving "dirty dicks," um, they bumped into uh, another South African prop, Mr. Pierre Schumann. Oh, or sorry, how... it's meant to be Scoop, I believe it's meant to be pronounced. How old is his son? I don't know. Uh, old enough to drink. Oh, that's all right uh, then. Good. Yeah, because well, I, I, I'd hope so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just grass them up. <laughs> any son. I was going to say it's fine taking children to pubs. I'm just not sure taking them to pubs called Dirty Dicks <laughs> is the way for it's. No, it's no harvester. I would be very surprised if there's a soft play at the back. That might be, but it might not be what you're thinking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We should um, we should maybe move on after that and uh, quickly do this. Yes, it's the fantasy league now. Um, we we've had to make a call on this. Well, I've made a call on this because of. Uh, the old coronavirus that's going around. Um, I don't know what Super Brew are doing. They allowed more. Um, I think they allowed more subs this round, so people could 
could deal with the fact there were only four teams playing. I assume they'll be doing something similar this round for the um, for the Scotland Wales game. We're going to call it after this. So this is your last chance to 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 make a a boost for it. I'm not I'm not going to extend fantasy league into October, even if Super Brew does it, because quite frankly that's ridiculous. And also, I'm in 14th, and I'm never going to have a chance to get get higher um, if we extend it that far. So. Um, this is your last chance. I like to say I'm at four places to 14, which is the highest I've, I've never. I don't think I've even broken top 30 before, so I'm I'm delighted. Uh, Ian, Ian, and Al, you haven't got teams this year, have you? I know I, I do have a team, but it's just I've not checked mine this week. I do want me to tell you where you are then, Ian, because I think. Uh, I, no, no, no. I want to check myself. Hang okay, on, uh, Rory. Uh, is it good? Is, are, is it bad? Rory is is down three places to 62, which is normally where we're all languishing. Um, <laughs> I've just passed Sandy Smith as well. Is Sandy Smith? He's. What? Sandy is not up there. Is he down there? Let's have a look. Going way down. Sandy is below Rory. Possibly. Yeah, the Borough Watch says Sandy's. Oh, Sandy's up 20 places to 73. He's had a good week, has Sandy. Although right. I've, I've had a fairly decent week. Um, I've left a few points on the bench. Uh, Maro Toji, I left him on the bench for AWG. Although AWG should get bonus points for what he had to suffer, <laughs> um, I made Hamish Watson my captain though, so that's that's, that's sort of that's that, no that's sort of all right for me. That got me twenty nine points. Um, but uh, how do I find the see the super graph is crap. Oh, I've gone down ten places to ninety seventh. Yes, that's that's uh, that's that's poor. That's poor. But, I'd I'd done my transfers um, before realizing that Teddy Thomas had been cut from the France squad. So oh, I put him in. there you go. Uh, mm. the last. So yeah, um, we will call it next. At the moment, the person in the lead is, I believe, where we go. We've got uh, Galen Bentz. Um, I need to find. I need to go in. I will verify whether or not you have chosen Scottish players all the way through in each round. That's the rule with ours, and then I'll go to the next person who has done that. Um, there may be a urine test as well. There may may well be, um, but we will ask your consent before we do that. Um, so that's fantasy league. We'll give we'll, we'll announce the winner next week. Um, but uh, let's move on, and we'll do this now. Yes, it is. Uh, it's hands in the rock. Apologies, the jings are a little bit quiet this week, so I can't quite get the levels. Uh, I haven't quite got the levels sorted out for it. But we've got um, people are understandably very angry this week. Um, so we've got quite a few hands in the rock off Twitter. Um, we've got uh, Ross McDonald who said people complaining about people complaining about people complaining about the match and Gregor Townsend and the hollow victory of the red card, no bonus point, etc. On places like the Scottish Rugby Forum on Facebook. Uh, he said, and here I am complaining about that. It's very good on that. Um, Feed Me Crumble Resurrection. I don't know if that's his Christian name or his surname. Uh, says his hands... Christian name. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, I'm guessing it's somebody you know then. Uh, yes. Lawrence Delalio wears the most red rose-tinted specs available. The suggestion in commentary that Tulangi was hard done by with respect to the red card. It, um, it's reckless with no arms, out of order to stick up from. I mean... I, it's hard to find. Well, it's hard to find anybody who's not English who thinks that Manu Tulangi was hard done by Al. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, oh Jesus! But I mean, look, Eddie Jones is Australian, right? So that maybe 
throws that one. I mean, Jesus, it was uh, he came in like an exorcist. Um, I it was a red card every day of the week, and yeah. anyone who says it isn't an idiot. Yeah, I think the best explanation I had for it was, and it was the Flats and Shanks podcast. We're talking about what Nigel Owens had said on it. Whereas, yes, he's been, you know George North has been tackled, so he's on his way down. Nigel Owens said, "Well, if you're driving at thirty miles an hour in a thirty mile an hour zone, and someone unexpectedly jumps out in front of you." That's not your fault, and you're not to blame at all because you were abiding by the, you know, the rules of the road. If you're driving 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, and somebody unexpectedly jumps out and at you, it's not your fault, but you still shouldn't have been doing 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. Which I, think, I like that. I think that's a nice, a good, a good solid explanation, which is why uh, Nigel earns the big bucks. Um, Jason Ryder says his hands in the ruck is all the fanfare around Sean Edwards yet Steve Tandy is barely getting any mention particularly out with Scotland uh, but good we don't want people to recognise he's doing a good job no, the Welsh are be all over him like that's fine. On chips. I um, I also think that we have to give Sean, Sean Edwards gets extra credit for weaning the French off baguettes and red wine did you see that they got thrown on the pitch in disgust? I saw a Twitter picture of somebody had thrown a baguette on the pitch at the end of the game against France in disgust. I'm really hoping it was a Frenchman. <laughs> it would be the most French thing ever. It would be the most French thing ever would be another Frenchman turning to him and going, don't waste baguettes. Well, I did see actually on the uh, on the old Scottish rugby forum, I did see somebody had uh, said there was a bunch of French gentlemen smoking in one of the in in the stands at Murrayfield, so that's not to be approved of. No, not at all. Um, I mean, you know you're French, but you you, you know you still can't smoke. No, um, I think I think they've only just banned mistresses in France legally. I think legally, like the prime minister even have a mistress up until late. I know that might get sued. I, I think I think they've just banned. Oh, sorry, you know you. No, no, no he he, he did have a mistress, but he he, got, he definitely got his uh, knuckles wrapped. Yeah. I mean, oh, I think well. the law that's been repealed, Cammy, is it's uh, now uh, it's not illegal to not have a mistress. Oh, well, that makes sense. That that'd be that'd be more French. Um, I think Brexit has allowed that probably. Um, TJ Tennant gets in touch. Said even after the event for World Cup tournaments organised without a solid plan B for matches being cancelled, here we are. Um, <laughs> which is fair enough. I don't, you know, tsunamis are maybe more predictable than uh, pande- global pandemics. I would say, to be fair. Um, oh, while I, I check the other thread um, on Twitter for more hands in the ruck, what, what, what's your hands in the ruck this week? Um, right, a, a couple of quick ones, if I may. Um, one's more serious, and we've kind of touched on a bit. I mean, um, Eddie Jones's comments at the end of uh, after their, their victory, this whole 13 versus 16, and he went off Trumpian describing um, it, it, not it, uh, two lines tackle as being. Um, uh, what did he say? It was a, it was perfect. It was a perfect tackle. I'm sure he said it was Trumpian in the, uh, in the spin. But I just think he has a responsibility to the game. And I know, look, I'm not as people will know from previous podcasts, Mr. Rugby values, but he does have a responsibility to the game. And those sorts of comments, they're just cretinous. They really are. I mean, if I, honestly, if I was an England fan, I would be just cringing when he comes out with that nonsense. And in fairness, he has been called out for it. Yeah. by quite a number of pundits and by fans etc and I, I really hope they really get their arms around this and tell them to just shut the heck up please <laughs> before the rest of us lose the will well this it's was it. um, this was Rory's hands in the ruck well actually Rory's hands in the ruck was that he there's been no sanction to it and if you imagine you know compare, you compare that to what 
Mark Dodson said about a weather system. Just we should be talking seventy grand plus fines for 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 alleging that a referee was on was biased. You know, he essentially said that Wales were playing with sixteen men. If 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 a if a football manager said that they they would be quite rightly fined and sanctioned by the by the FA or the SFA. So I don't understand why rugby is any different. I don't. I think that the answer to Michael, the Michael Checkers and Eddie Jones of this world, is to start slapping some fines on them. Yeah, or you make them have to, you know, they can't be in the stadium on the match day or something yeah. along those lines, right? You know, you you have to hit them where it hurts. I, I just he is a repeat offender, right? Um, but this this I think did cross a line. Um, it would be very nice if the RFU came out and uh, acknowledged that publicly. You know, they have the ability themselves as his employer to to apply censure if it won't be done by the governing bodies. Yep, I agree. Um, you, did you say another quick one? I did, and a really quick one. Um, the, whoever it is that chooses this sort of celebratory music post-tries, <laughs> um, I am 99% certain I heard them blasting out Coldplay. I mean, really? Coldplay's a bit as cheery and as celebratory as gangrene. It's, um, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I'm afraid. Sorry. One of them I know from uh, playing Pro Evo 2018. It's not actually Coldplay, but it's Chris Martin doing the vocals. So I don't uh, know if it's even worse. Um, oh, Coldplay side, a Coldplay side project. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, that. That, see the the face that uh, Adam Hastings pulled. Yeah. <laughs> that that's my view to the music. I, I I'm it's I'm not even sure to step up from Shangalang, which we were complaining about last season. We need yeah. they need a better D. We will do it. We we'll, I'll go and play some better music. I'm up you for that job. The, you held the world on your arms tonight, by the way. It's uh, fine. Yeah, there's a great yeah. Scottish. It's got a, a big drummy, cheery sort of rambunctious start. There you are. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a nomination for pirate metal. Uh, you know, oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, Storm are Scotch. Yeah, so um, that's the entry not, music. Maybe not the the, the, the anchor related one. <laughs> no, yeah, there, are, there are many other great. great at least, uh, at least to be fair, he's given consent when he's asked to be uh, done with the anchor. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's um, well, it's it's a revenge mission. Oh, okay. Uh, well then, yeah. we'll we'll. we'll, we'll We'll, we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, the um, We've got a couple of others from Twitter, and I'll come to you, Ian, and then we'll do the big one that everyone's talking about. Um, Alex Thompson said, his hands in the ruck uh, is everyone calling Twickenham HQ. This is servile boot-licking weirdos. I agree with him. I like that. Um, the, um, the Jane Robinson said, the Highland Dancers pre-match on Sunday, how good were they? I don't know. I didn't see them, Jane, but um, presumably better than the... Uh, the 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 what what what's the um the pipe band the red hot chili pipers, pipers yeah were they yeah, there so again the, no it was a band called uh, tidelines um who are just a small sort of uh, i think there was only three of them um and then there was the the dancers and at first i was thinking oh this is going to be pretty twee but you know but watching them they were well synchronized because there was one bit they were because there was two squads on either side of the pitch and they were doing a sort of Mexican wavy type thing. I was like, hang on, I'm, I'm going to make sure they have this synchronised. I was like, no, no, yeah, they're good. Right. So, no, touche to them. Good. So this is like when Scottish rugby blog meets Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> yeah. Seven. Seven. <laughs> Watson. 
Um, I'll give one more off Twitter. I'll come to you, Ian. Um, oh, yeah, Paul Smith said, um, please give a mention to France number eight, Aldrit giving uh, Rambo a wee pat on the back as he scored his try. He said rugby values, hashtag. As a Scotsman celebrating a Scotsman, was it not? Yes, essentially. Well, is his dad Scot- no, is his dad Scottish? Yeah, his dad's Scottish. Did you see the interview with his brothers beforehand? Aldrit, when he got interviewed, I think he got interviewed afterwards or beforehand, was very French. His brothers, definitely a bit of half and half going on there. So you do wonder if he's been working on his uh, uber French accent just to fit in with his teammates. Isn't one of them playing for your favourite team, Watsonians, Ian? No, one I think plays for Stu Mel. I think it's Stu Mel. Is it Thomas Aldrit? Is that the one? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Thomas or. Thomas. Tommy. 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 Tom. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody who's ever played for Stumel has ever been called Tam. <laughs> I'm willing to be corrected though. Um Ian, your hands in the rook before I get letter from posh people. Um, well well seemingly I am I am one of those posh people. Um yes, my, my brief hands on rock uh, before we get on to the big one. Um so as, as some of you know, I uh, I cover games for the offside line as well. So I did the Super Six game between Watsonians and Southern Knights on Friday. Um, put my report up, and was then uh, grasped up to teacher, aka David Barnes, the editor of the offside line, by one of the comments underneath that accused me of a biased match report, and that I supported Watsonians. <laughs> um, when you're also that... accused of being not f- f- from from East Coast or something, or being from Edinburgh or something <laughs> as well. Um, no, not just being a Watsonian fan, oh, okay. which would assume that I'm from Morningside or, or roundabouts. But uh, yeah, Matt Valance, uh, is, is it Aristotle or Socrates? I can't remember what one's his football one, what one's his rugby one. Aristotle thinks rugby one. Uh, he he let to my defence by pointing out that I'm a Ouija, um, but then said that I engage keyboard before brain sometimes. But then I, I read the report back and it's like, uh, Southern Knights... Um, which sounds a bit clanny, I think, to be oh, honest. No, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, especially if they've got a horse on their badge as well. <laughs> We're the Southern Knights. We especially don't like the All Blacks in this rugby. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, he pointed out that I'm Luigi. Uh, and, but I read the report back, and, like, Southern Knights actually thought deserved to win. They dominated the game for over an hour, and I pointed this out. But, yeah, I still got accused of bias. So uh, I think fans just need to maybe read what's there. Uh, I, I got accused also of being a, a Hawks fan when they played GHA recently, but then we figured out that was by a family member of one of the GHA team. I oh, actually live close. I live closer to GHA. Um, you can't win, Ian. No, I'm I'm completely unbiased. Although to be honest, now I've just after that GHA comment, I'm going to start sporting Hawks just to wind them up. <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that. No. Um, completely unbiased. We, we're we now going to move on to what um, Ian uh, uh, earlier this week suggested we rename Hands in the Junk, which I quite like. Uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to play this bit of music and I'm going to give you, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a, a, a quiz. We don't normally do quizzes, but here we go. These things is not like the others One of these things doesn't belong Can you tell which thing is not like the other By the time I finish this song Joe Marler interfering with Alan Wynne-Jones Exeter players tapping each other on the crotch after celebrating a try uh, Luke Crosby's uh, tap on the Southern Kings player And... 
um, having a me- having a mess around with your mates. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. Um, Al, I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the differentiator here is the. Uh, it's like you know the. Uh, any more than three shakes is uh, is rude. <laughs> it's a wee bit similar with Marla, right? I mean, there's a there's a time factor there. Um, yeah, weird, really bloody weird. Is my view on the whole thing. Yeah, definitely weird. Yeah, I think it's not. I think the whataboutery has particularly bothered me with this. I think you know somebody came back and said, "Oh, you all you were all laughing on the podcast about Luke Crosby's um, ball tap on." the Southern Kings player. I can't remember that we did. I think Sandy said he thought it was funny at the time, but I, I, I tried to, I didn't listen to the whole podcast after that week back, but I, I, I skipped through it to see if I could find what we'd said at the time. So apologies if, if I am being contradictory, but I don't think it's the same. I don't think that's, what did you describe it as Alan in the, in the group chat beforehand? <laughs> you had a nice, <laughs> a nice summer, some of it. I, I, I think I said uh, Luke Crosby's was the act of uh, it was the sort of thing you would get at oh, yeah. uh, a council high school um <laughs> marlers was more akin to uh, the private school and uh, soggy biscuit frigate <laughs> yes it was, um, yes yeah there's definitely i mean it, it, there is a there is context to this i mean you know the, the i think luke crosby or those kind of that, that that's how, we've seen that before in rugby, and it's not. I'm not condemning it at all. I don't think there's a place for that in rugby any more than I think there's a place for what Joe Marler did. But it's the intention with with that is to cause somebody pain. That that's the intention with it is to give somebody a wee jolt. What the intention with Joe Marler's was, even if he wasn't intending on sexually assaulting Alan Wynne Jones which I'd be very surprised if that was his intention to go in and do that. He, the intention was to humiliate him in some way or degrade or, or degrade, make him feel degraded because like you said, Ali, he, he was tugging and pulling and fiddling, which <coughs> in context, it's not a good look. It's not, there's no reason for him to be doing that on a sporting field. Somebody suggested to me that I didn't know the difference between elite, elite sport and what happens in normal society. I don't think that should be happening anywhere, whether it's elite sport or anything. I don't, I don't really understand what that argument even is. I'm pretty certain that's not the dictionary definition of elite sport. Um, no. <laughs> I, the bit that really, and, and, and I'm maybe misremembering this now, it's one of those sort of, you know, your, your brain paints the picture for you. But I, my recollection of the whole Marla thing is, it's not just the fact that he was doing it, it's I'm pretty certain he was staring down the camera whilst, yeah, yeah I felt, so violated myself. So God knows how Alan Wynne Jones did. It was just awful. Well, his awful. response to it was was absolutely spot on. Was he made that he really made the journalist work to be very specific about what he had seen, and then you know he said Joe's a good guy, but it's not acceptable. And I hope World Rugby have a look at it. I, I he tried. You could see he tried to raise it with the touch judge at the time. Got nothing, and he said you know, obviously it had been told by the referee and before the game that he wasn't willing to hear anything other than about what he'd seen himself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not I think as well, like you said, it's it's on you know, it's on national TV. Everyone can see it. I don't I, I think the people who are trying to play it down, like Danny Kerr and other former pros, I don't think they really understand the impact that would have on people who've maybe 
gone through something like that in a you know in a in a, in, a, in a much more unpleasant circumstances but you know sort of trying to play that down and saying oh it's nothing it's just a bit of banter because that's that, that, I don't see that that can be offend, uh, any any sort of defence at all. I don't think we can sit and castigate the people for having a laugh when it happened, right? I mean, we have to be careful here. Because so I, I giggled when I first saw it, right? And then you think about it and you go, actually, it's just yeah. odd, weird. Actually, it's not just a... It's just creepy, right? So you think about it. And they say, even you've seen, like, you know, I, I, I again, I thought Gareth Thomas's response at the halftime and his, you know, his quip was funny and, you know, fair play to him. Um, but again, he's had to go onto Twitter to apologise because the Snowflake generation have thrown their arms up. It, it, what Marla did was completely unacceptable. But the fact that some people have laughed at it, <clears throat> it can be both things at the same time. Yeah, It can be deeply inappropriate, uh, disturbing, but at the same time raise a, you know, a, a wry grin because it was just that weird that it was kind of bizarre and funny. Yeah, um, But I don't condone it in the slightest. There's no place on any rugby pitch, sports pitch, or any walk of life. No, and the ba- and I think the banter, the banter defence just... Uh, I, I can't understand in any way, Ian, where the banter defence even enters into. I think there was somebody who was suggesting, like, well, they've been on a Lions tour together, so that somehow gives them permission to do that. Uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I don't... I can't imagine a scenario where I would appreciate anyone um, approaching my genitals without prior consent. Uh and like Al said, you know, some people think it's, you know, you sort of, there was a bit of a wry smile when I saw it. And I was just like, but it was more about what the, f-? And I mean, I've, you know, there's uh, disgusting things that you've seen and you've, you've maybe laughed at them at first, but then when you actually stop, look back and think of it, you're like, that's just wrong and weird. And what he did was wrong and weird. And, um, well, I mean, there's two people who have commented on it. Um, Gwyn Jones and actually Andy Good, uh, sort of preview mm-hmm. of the rugby pod. They've been talking about it, and they've just said it seems to be. And this is what I what I dislike most about Joe Marler. It's not the fact that he's pulled Alan Gwyn Jones' plunger, but he seems to be trying to build this sort of character reputation himself as this kind of joker, but with like little regard for the with little respect for fellow professionals or the media or other editors. <clears throat> you know, it's all about building Joe, the Joe Marler brand uh, through these like moments of stupidity just to prove that he's a bit of a joker. What he did to Alan Jones was completely unacceptable. You know, uh, it's not banter. If somebody touches my junk, I'm going to hit them in the face probably. You know, I'm going to shout at them first. And if, depending on who it is, obviously, but this is the thing. Joe Marlon and Alan Jones are not close personal friends. They're not teammates like we've discussed at Exeter. They're, they're, they're opponents on this occasion. And like you said, Cammy, he's done it to try and humiliate Alan Wynne Jones. Uh, and the the law and the uh, World Rugby Laws clearly states, so is it, I think, is it 9.2? I think I've got it somewhere here. Uh, again, from Tayside Thompson. Um, was it rubbing, squeezing? of the genitals, uh, your lower grade sanction is a 12-week ban. And it's an open and shut case. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that's... that. That's the, It is just... I, I think I, I just struggle with the people that are still defending. Like you said, Al, I completely... I, I get... You know, I saw it and I was... You know, you kind of... 
you laugh because you can't believe the ridiculousness of it when you first see it. But then the more you think about it, you think that's just not right. But I don't, I still don't get the people defending it as though it's just something that happens because I've never, I don't think I've ever come across that ever. And I think, I think you're, I think that the Win Jones thing, you know, is all is quite interesting. It's that kind of. Joe Marler strikes me as the kind of person that thinks that Al Murray pub landlord is hilarious without realising that it's a caricature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he's got previous though, right? For um, you know, I've got I've got his rap sheet here, by the way. I actually looked this up. Um, I've like this is only uh, from the Gypsy Boy comment against Samson Lee onwards. Mm-hmm. So we got two weeks for that in April 2016. His very next game back, he kicked uh, Grenoble flanker Arno Hegwi. Uh, I'm not sure about the pronunciation. Sorry to French people if that's wrong. He got two weeks for that. Uh, then he elbowed Wasp Philip Rollins in October 2017. Three <coughs> weeks. Um, before that, he gets cited for scrapping with James Haskell. Uh, January 2018. Uh, that was funny. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know we're going to let that one slide. You only got cited for that. Um, but in January 2018, he got a six-week ban for a dangerous clear-out on TGI Oni. So that's that's quite a rap sheet just in that short period of time, um, and that's also when he was claiming it was anxiety um, because he was trying to get himself suspended uh, so he couldn't go wouldn't go to England camps. And I guess I also read about this time when he called Cami a um, a sodden biscuits. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He then came that's back. A, that's he, another he, thing. He's he's sorry to interrupt you, but he's using his profile to sort of bully you with that you know i can't i don't know what it was response to well i think i it was in response to he'd done a video of him sweeping up the dressing room at harlequins and he he was kind of going oh i'm staying humble i'm staying humble and i think the point i then i didn't retweet that or tag him in the tweet at all i just said i thought it was I I kind of I I get what the whole kind of like sweeping the sheds thing is supposed to mean in the right culture, and I think it's supposed to kind of show a level of respect to the people that have to do that, and it's sort of saying that we we are we are we're willing to sort of you know work to do the same level of jobs that everybody does at the club and and all muck in. So it's just, the point I was trying to make, I think probably quite clumsy, was just saying it, it, it's insulting to people that have to do who have to go in and clean dressing rooms for a living. To take the mick out of that, um, yeah, well, and then like, the rugby pod, the the egg chasers podcast, I think told him about my tweet, so he then found me on Twitter and decided to direct abuse me. Which, to be fair, I got loads more followers out of it, so I wasn't that bothered about <laughs> it. He then later I made a cut. Co- it was the I oh Ale- it was Maro Atorji said talked yeah talked about himself in the third person, and I said in case you're ever mistaken that Maro Atorji is a complete asshole. What time's that? I'm gonna to have to bleep myself twice in an episode. This is shocking <laughs> behaviour. Um, and I, I, I meant it completely flippantly because it was somebody talking about themselves in the third person, which yeah. is a very pretentious thing to do. Yeah. And then he said, uh, "He, I can't really call me that time, but he said he's cro- such a such, that he is another he. This bl- crawled out the woodwork, woodwork again or something, or something like that." Yeah. And I said, "Oh, it's nice to hear from you, Joe." But to be fair, he did he did defend me and said later on and say he didn't think I was being racist. He just thought I was being a dick. 
Well, you weren't being racist. <laughs> no, I wasn't, as I pointed out. I said, because I, I explicitly said that to an England fan who came back to me and said, I think you're being racist calling Maro Otoji that word. And I said, no, 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 no. I think, no, I, yeah, I said, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of England rugby players are assholes and a lot of them are white. I think lots of people are arseholes, Scottish, English, you know, there's just a lot of arseholes out there. Uh, it was just that Maro told you, like, the only person who's ever allowed to talk about themselves in third person in my eyes is uh, The Rock. Um, yeah, and that's him playing a character, but, you know, I read that Maro told you interview and it was cringeworthy. You know, it was, especially all the Land Rover references in it as well. It was, it was basically an advert. Um I'm talking of adverts, there's Joe Marler selling chips as well, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, the wonderful you... thing about Arsehole really is it's colour blind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really is, you know. And and gender fluid as well. <laughs> and just, you know, it's, the, it's only, the only thing I thought about the whole, uh, just as we were talking this through with Marler, um, I did wonder, is this just the first uh, performance of sort of Owen Farrell fan fiction on sort of the big screen? <laughs> <laughs> it's an extract from Owen Farrell fan fiction. Possibly. What well, he's a fluffer. Oh oh, there's, there's going to be a three-way now. Look at what you've done. Oh, what no. you've done, Joe. Um, the, yeah. It's not good. I mean, somebody came back at me and said it was to do with his, I shouldn't be hard on him because it's to do with his mental health issues. Now, I don't really think that's an excuse for interfering with a man without his consent on a rugby pitch. And like I said, you know, those that rap sheet I've read, you think you would have learned. Kyle Sinclair has been quite open recently about learning. Tyson Fury, I used to like rip into Tyson Fury for the things he said. But you know, he's he's been very repentant and remorseful and he's, you know, t- completely turned himself around. Joe Marlar continues to act like an ass. And that's that's the end of it really, isn't it? Well I think that's well, it. Here's, he, here's... he he did that big cool thing, I I'm a changed man thing and I've I've you know, and I'm I'm coming back at the England camp and I'm different and like you said, building this personality of the clown, but then it just all falls apart when he acts like that. But you mentioned the Kyle Sinclair situation, and I think this was mentioned on it was either it might have been the rugby pod. But they make the point that, you know, Sinclair was hauled over the coals. Uh, when he was getting wound up and you know he has reformed himself and got control of that but where is the the criticism coming out from the England camp around what Marler's done I've not seen anything I've not seen again it goes back to the point of what where is the RFU are they not internally censoring on this you know censoring on this I don't, I don't understand why they think it's say nothing I mean we, we sometimes like think the SRU media team you know have a hard job dealing with Dodson, but you know if you've got Eddie Jones and Joe Marlon and the likes of that, well, the RFU lot must be on fortunes, <laughs> or they, they, either that or they're all like on Prozac, like up to the eyeballs. Oh, it's, but, Jesus, the pain of them. It, I mean, on a, on a semi-serious note, right? So the last time I was on this pod, I gave Townsend and the SRU a really big kicking around how they had dealt with the whole Finn Russell situation and it was after the back of, you know, he'd done the interview with the BBC and on response to Finn Russell's interview the week before in the Sunday Times. But you actually look at how that whole situation has been managed, how they've held the team together. You know, the in hindsight, maybe it doesn't look half as bad as when you look at some of the opposing teams who are sitting there and doing nothing to what, you know, to, to stand by a situation or to, to call out a situation that they think is there. So I do think it, it is an interesting comparison. It's yeah. not necessarily a one, but I think there's a conversation in there maybe for a later date. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens once the hearing on Thursday is over. 
indeed. Because the Gypsy Boy incident, World Rugby had to intervene, didn't they? Because they said they didn't, the, the Six Nations had failed to uphold the laws of the game and they had to intervene and impose their own fine, I think, on him in the end. So be it, I think, I assume the RFU are staying quiet to see what the outcome of it is and then they'll make their but what, comment. But if they decide not to, to do anything about it, do that if you just sit there and go, we've got away with it. I, I, yeah. I get yeah, that yeah. point, but surely the, the the right response here is for them to have condoned it and said he will take whatever punishment is coming. Because it's it, I don't see how in the modern day and age you can really defend it. Well, no, and, and he's come out and put something on his Twitter that would indicate, seem to indicate that he he's happy with what he's done. He's not remorseful at whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would think that Harlequins as well should maybe you know take a look into. Depending on what the contracts they've signed, you know, we, we all remember the Israel Falou nonsense. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a professional rugby player, you have a responsibility, and there's probably in your contract that you shouldn't bring the game into disrepute on mm-hmm. social media or in any kind of, you know, media appearances. Um, and, you know, out with of what's happened on the field, he has done that again here. Because did Nathan Hughes not get in? Like, Nathan Hughes got in trouble for a tweet he wrote when he gets cited. Yeah. Um, and they quickly deleted it, but it had already been seen and it ended up affecting him at the disciplinary hearing. Yeah. So, you know, this just adds more fuel to the fire for Joe Marler yeah. and extra fuel to the fact that I think he's a complete arse. And I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't buy into the whole kind of cancel culture kind of thing. I, I think if someone shows remorse, genu- genuine remorse for what they've done, then fair play to them and people learn from the mistakes and move on. But I think doubling down on something like that in the way that Joe Marler appears to have done is really not a good look you know regardless of what you think about him as a person but it's not to double down on that isn't it's that it's not good that's not going to end up in a in a in a good 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 place for it's him. a very it's a very unprofessional decision I mean what do you expect to gain from it right I mean even if there's nothing to begin there's nothing positive to begin with doubling down it just makes no sense uh, but again, it, it it would suggest there is very little control in that camp yeah. of some of their players. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on a happier note, my fine, my little hands in the rock that I discovered something today on Twitter that's absolutely glorious. In the 1980s, there was an NFL team in Glasgow called the Glasgow Diamonds, and they did a rap. <laughs> it's on YouTube. Yes. I'll post it tomorrow. But... To play us out is the Glasgow Diamonds American football team uh, with their song. I don't think they've got a song called Diamond. The song is called... Let me have a look. Uh, the song is called The Diamond Rap. So that's going to play us out is the Glasgow Diamonds rap, The Diamond Rap. Um, there's an, an, an awesome saxophone solo about halfway through. Um <laughs> But for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Al and Ian. Goodbye. Cheers. Thank you.
come from Glasgow town And when we're hitting the field We don't be messing around We're gonna move the ball We're gonna pass and rush And if you get in the way You're gonna feel the crush The truth can hurt And the truth is me We're the baddest team That's ever been seen We can't be stopped When we start to play Talk about the diamonds What do we say? The diamonds Best beware, cause wherever you turn, baby, we'll be there. We're gonna intercept and make you fumble the ball. You're gonna wonder why you ever wanna play at all. Wherever you turn, wherever you go, Diamond Defense gonna let you know. There's no way out, don't wanna look at a map. You trapped by the diamonds. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>